Welcome, everyone. I'm pleased to have everyone join uh, for part one of the Recession Proof Your Sales series. My guest today is uh, Christoph Martel. He's a, a veteran of 35 years in the business world. Um, and at that time, he's uh, led teams across four continents um, in a uh, number of businesses, very big brands such as IBM, HP, Computer Visions, uh, uh, CEB. Uh, and he's currently the CEO and co-founder of um, TI People, which is an HR consultancy, and they're helping their clients um, create uh, incredible uh, experiences with their employees rather than the traditional um, compensation for time, labor, and, uh, and skills. Um, so Mark, Christoph has um, been involved in sales during the last three recessions, I believe. And in that time, he has led sales team uh, to continued performance while others have probably found it quite challenging. So I'm extremely delighted to have him on our webinar and podcast today and hear some of his advice around um, you know, how do we start to focus on the right things, especially during a recession, whether you're a sales leader, a business leader, or a sales professional. Um, so I'm delighted to have him on the show today. Christoph, welcome. Uh, uh, thanks, Mo, and thanks for reinforcing to everyone that uh, I'm a veteran because it's been so many years that I've been doing this. So, uh, but good to be uh, good to be on the uh, on your show. Well, we're, we're we're excited to hear what you uh, the guidance that you have and the advice that you have for us. And I think uh, whilst I don't know officially if recession has been confirmed, we haven't hit that two quarter yet. I think it, the data seems to show it's pretty clear. Um, and I think the next stage really is: do we technically hit a depression, which requires far more uh, far more of a decline? But I think everyone is prepared, or at least expecting this recession to be confirmed. So people's minds are now towards how do we as salespeople and professionals start to navigate through that. I guess the first question really is, whilst you've seen at least three, not everyone listening has um, vivid uh, memory of, of three or more, uh, but they can certainly remember the last one. And uh, the first question really is, what was your experience? Well, what, what did you kind of, what did you take away from uh, the last recession? Uh, and especially in terms of the aftermath as well, what were the things that were key for you then? Mm. Um, so uh, so let, let me see, you know, if, I, if, I, if I go back to um, the, the, few, um, the few hits that, uh, that I uh, lived through in, in management roles, um, First one was in um, uh, was in Asia in '97. Um, second was uh, was the 2000 dot com crash. Then 2008, and then in Europe we had the we had the 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 Grexit um, uh, the Grexit blues in uh, 2011. Yeah. Um, and so with with pretty much each one of these uh, each one of these events. Um, first thing is that they don't last forever. So that's, uh, uh, when you're in it, it feels like it's going to last forever, and it's a it's a bit of a, a grind. Yeah. But um, but no, we you know the 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 world kind of writes itself back, and 
where your position at that time matters a lot um, and actually for, for, for an overall health of the business, um, uh, that's what matters the most is in what position you find yourself at the end. Um, so, the, and there's this, uh, you know, this notion of winning in the turns um, where um, for, for racing car drivers, which I'm not, uh, you know, that, that's where, that's where people pass each other. It's in the, it's in the turn, in, in the turns on the, on the racing circuit. So the, the four things that, uh, I, you know, have been pretty consistent through each one of these uh, downs followed by ups. Um, and probably the, the very first one is, uh, is tr trading up on talent. Um, there, when there's big upheaval in the market, there's always a, a ton of talent available coming from all kinds of places. Um, and if, you know, at, at the same time, uh, you see your your own teams in a new light um, because you know when the when the circumstances are tough, uh, some are actually right and, and not always those that you predict to rise up to the challenge in terms of performance and and focus and commitment, uh, and others just uh, just don't. Um, so that's an opportunity to strengthen your team. Um, the the second is. Um, um, uh, you know, usually these periods are, um, are are connected to big changes in uh, in, in customer buying patterns for for mm -hmm. whatever reason, whether it's economic or or behavioral, like would be the case with the current uh, pandemic. Right. Um, so so the the question there is, uh, um, you know, how, how in, at the end of the day you're selling value to customers uh, and it's really hard to keep your pulse on the value that you're delivering if you're not super close to them. So uh, it, it's, a, it's always a good idea to be close to customers, but in times like these, you have to be as close as you can. Uh, not so much to try to you know, sell more to them, but more to understand uh, what they're dealing with and, um, and how you can help. Um, third one is, uh, is a, is, a, is a value proposition question where um, um, wh whatever whatever goes in the in good times you know wherever the value proposition settled in good times um, may actually be um, and and that's what and that's what's kind of the playbook that salespeople run um, in in tougher times the value proposition actually may not be playing in the same way um, and that you, you need to uh, Kind of iterate your your value proposition until you find uh, you find a good fit to these new conditions, and that's something that uh, is not really for the product organization to do. I mean, they need to be involved, but it needs to be led by the sales team, um, and it because sales team is really the, the 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 organization in the company that is in constant contact with customers uh, and has those insights. Um, and then the final one is uh, again in good time when things are running. There's uh, always a ton of bureaucracy that uh, that kind of creeps up on everyone. Um, in bad times, um, you don't have time for too much of that. Um, and so, the there's a, a job which is to kind of protect your sales team from the rest of the organization that tends to, you know, want to you know when you're on the back lines if you're not exposed to the mayhem in front. Uh, you actually don't see that things have uh, have really shifted, 
Um, and so you continue doing what you're used to doing. And so the, usually the you know, support functions, for example, don't know um, how much pressure the frontline guys are under. Uh, and so one job you can uh, you, you have to commit to is to protect them from the rest of the organization, um, at least during the times where where they need to be uh, to be protected. So these would be mm. four. Yeah, so that's really interesting. So it seems those four there there are two that kind of sit within the salespeople um, and how they and how they need to perform, and then the other two uh, is really for the sales leader to be able to support them. So maybe yep. if we start with the two that really are for the salespeople, which is getting as close as possible to your buyers, and number two, which is the value proposition. And it, it sounds like you can't really do the value proposition if you're not close to your buyers because you want to understand what that value proposition is. So how should salespeople go about doing that? Because it's very easy to ask them to get close to the buyers, but a lot of them either don't know how to or um, they, they attempt to, to do that and they probably do it quite well, but they don't translate that into an adaptation of their approach that's going to help them improve sales. So how, how, do you, how do you see some of the best sellers doing? Well, um, so uh, f first of all, there, there's a, um, there's a set of attributes uh, for sellers that tend to perform well in general, but especially well in a, uh, in a recession. Mm. Um, and, you know, we can talk about that as, uh, as part of a, another question, but one of the biggest attribute is, uh, is what I, I would call, or IBM used to call, uh, intellectual curiosity. Mm. So it's the desire to understand how things work and why things are the way they are, right? And so, so it's not settling for the, well, I, I, believe, that I believe this is the way things are and, um, and therefore the reality conforms to my belief. Uh, it, it's actually uh, having a, a, a real appetite um, to discover wh what is it that's, um, uh, what kind of pressure customers are under uh, and having, uh, having that conversation with them. Uh, right. So the, the, uh, now it's not, it's not a, a you know, a, a revealed behavior to all salespeople, not all know how to do it and so on and so forth. Um, but I mean, what, and the thing is that you can't just tell people to go do that because, you know, that just doesn't work. Uh, so you, you, you actually have to show it. Um, and the best way to show it is to actually uh, identify some of the, uh, some of the stars in, in your sales team that are able to do this naturally um, and, and to have, the, you know, to, to use them as demonstrators all, almost uh, so that um, the, 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 the rest of the sales team can see what kind of approach um, these guys are employing. Um, and the, the second thing is, uh, is uh, you know, dur during a time like this, there's a ton of noise, right? So in other words, um, on, on, a, on a hundred customers, uh, where, where in good times, you're gonna have a pretty consistent um, pattern of needs and, and expectations, et cetera, et cetera. 
in in a recession, actually, um, the the spread from uh, you know across the spectrum of needs and patterns is is much bigger. Uh, so it's hard. It's the signal to to noise thing is harder to do. Um, and what these star sellers are able to do is is to differentiate the two and to know where to run. Um, mm -hmm. And so. Uh, what, what's uh, pretty effective is to actually use them to crystallize the the story for the rest of the sales team about what is unfolding in the market. So in other words, to say, well, here, here are some observed customer behaviors, here are some observed patterns uh, that uh, of needs that they're revealing, um, and here's what it means, uh, and here's what it means for everyone. So that, uh, that the, these few thought leaders, if you will, um, in, in your sales team, uh, you can amplify their, uh, their discovery, their messages, uh, and kind of capture the rest of the sales team with it. So how, how do you, what do you see as the best, best ways to get those either top performing sellers or those who conduct or get closer to the buyers a lot better than others? How do you get them to share those insights and, and certainly valuable insights that differentiate between the noise and something that's truly valuable? Um, the, the best way to share is, is actually on, uh, um, well, there, there are two. There's, there's a job for the sales leader to be close enough to these guys uh, and to, you know, when I say close enough, it's also be out in the market. Right. Um, to to um, to kind of uh, uh, extract that narrative from them and from the signal that you receive as a leader, um, and to establish that narrative internally and reinforce it through um, you know broader communications or even individual discussions with uh, frontline managers or uh, you know whoever it is. At the end of the day, there is a story that runs on the sales floor. And uh, it, you know, the, the job of the leader is to shape that story based on the inputs that you get both from the markets and from the uh, star sellers. So the, the, the story itself you know, kind of ends up reinforcing, establishing context. Uh, as far as the uh, changing behavior, so you know, ha having people that were um, you know, <clears throat> used to selling a certain way and now shifting to a new one, um, the best way I found is uh, to to actually um, have um, d d for for lack of a better word deal clinic type um, um, gatherings right. where you put one or two star sellers and then I don't know ten or twelve um, uh, who are just a, a run of the mill or new or whatever and you basically go through opportunities um, right. not star seller opportunities but uh, th th those from um, that, that are on the table for the, the rest of the sales team and have the team brainstorm for five to ten minutes uh, around uh, you know what's happening what have you heard what questions have you asked where are you going next and so on and so forth and it both reinforces the fact that you know we're all in this together um, but uh, you know also you know, starts propagating uh, this this way of approaching uh, the market um, in a way that's uh, more viral than if you try to institutionalize it too much. Right. And th those deal clinics, I'm aware of those because we used to do that a lot, especially when I was working 
when we were working together. Yep. And they were, they were incredibly helpful. I think for, for some of the sales leaders on, on, on the podcast right now, they're probably asking, well, how often do we conduct such deal clinics? And, and obviously that will depend on the sales cycle um, and there's a proportionality to it. But how often would you say is, is, the, is the kind of the right well, balance to do it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I would say that for, um, first of all, these things can't be, uh, can't be too long, right? Because uh, the, the, the math of it um, mean that you, um, um, you, you're, you're, you're going to, um, uh, how do I say, you know, if, if you put 30 people in, in, in a clinic and you try to spend a good five, 10 minutes per deal, yeah. Uh, then you know you're gonna have a bunch of people who are gonna be left sat <laughs> in the dust, <laughs> and you can't keep people for more than an hour really into a room to for this kind of activity. Right. Um, so um, what what worked best was uh, l less than ten people, uh, of which maybe five or six uh, come in with a deal, and it's we we spend ten minutes on each. Everyone brainstorms. You can do that uh, once a week is probably a minimum, uh, but it's probably better if you can do more. And so twice a week is probably a max. Um, and it can be, and what worked best is to uh, do this across teams. Uh, so right. in other words, you know, they, in the, in the, um, uh, kind of mix and match people with different accounts, different regions, et cetera, because it actually also creates a sense of community. Um, between people that uh, in every day uh, don't don't necessarily work together in in that way. So, right, okay. And and I want to dig into just the final parts in terms of that getting close to the buying behavior because it's it's such a critical thing. And mm -hmm. and I'm sure there are a ton of sellers who are just asking, you know, just thinking, well, what if I can't rely on some of these other salespeople in my team, you know? And especially with the pressures of hitting quota during such tough times. Um, it almost sounds like you're describing a trait, which is intellectual curiosity. But I think a lot of people want to have some kind of framework or some kind of idea of how could they easily start to understand the buyer's process. You know, what kind of questions should they be asking their buyers, or what kind of cues or signals do should they be looking out for from their buyers? Well, uh, I mean, that's uh, that all depends on the on, on the selling methodology. Um, but um, I, I think uh, what what becomes um, what becomes a little bit of a routine sales process in good times uh, needs to um, you know shift a couple of gears up in bad times. Um, and and so there there are always pretty pretty consistent questions that uh, that uh, you know you, you can ask your your sales team um, uh, to try to um, push them on the right tracks when when they're in front of a customer. So for example, um, there I've seen uh, I've had many conversations with sellers. Where if you ask, okay, they're going to buy your widget A, whatever it is, mm. um, what are they going to do with it? Uh, and you'd be surprised at uh, how many actually would say, well, didn't have a very clear answer. Well, they're just going to use it. But what do you mean they're going to use it for what? Like to accomplish what job? 
uh, and often you, you, the, the, the answer there is too shallow. And it's never a good thing in, in good times, but in bad times, it, it, it's very unforgiving where uh, if you don't know what the customer is going to do with what you're selling to them, uh, then the customer probably doesn't know either, unless you're very lucky. Uh, and right. if they don't know, um, it's going to be very difficult for them to justify to themselves, even as good protector shareholder value or to their internal organization, the investment. Um, so what, what are they going to do with it? What could they do without it? So in other words, if they don't have it, are they going right. to, what happens? Do they, do they get fired because uh, this is absolutely necessary to uh, them doing their job or frankly, no one would know. Um, and it's a, and there's always a, a, you know, a range of answers between the no one would know and they're going to get fired. But you got to have some precision around where you are on that range to be able to guide, uh, well, your level of expectation for the deal and what you're going to do next. Um, right. So, so then, uh, you know, and trying to put a dollar figure on it is a good idea, right? So uh, uh, you, you have the, um, uh, you know, usually two sides to the value that customers receive from whatever they're buying. One side is, uh, is personal value, which is what they are getting in, you know, personally out of the transaction. Maybe it makes them look good, gets them smarter, um, uh, increases their standing with their team, uh, or it's just interesting to them. So that, that's personal value. But in these times, I'm not saying that personal value doesn't matter, but you have to have it backed up by some, by some kind of business value that you can point to a dollar figure for. Uh, right. And so to the, the question is, what are you going to do with it? Can you do without it? Are really questions that are asked internally of someone who is investing company dollars in something. Um, and personal value doesn't come into play in that question. Uh, what you have there only is, well, this is what it's gonna help us do for the business. And by the way, this is how, much, how many dollars we're talking about in terms of impact. Um, right. And then there's the question of, you know, are these uh, real PNL dollars or are they, P are they dollars in, five years. Uh, so, you know, real PL dollars is stuff that, yeah, we're going to save you, you know, th this widget is going to save you money. Uh, well, it's actually going to save you money in your current fiscal year exercise. And you're going to, you know, you, you have, you, you have, uh, you're going to spend a hundred and you're going to get 150 back within the year. Uh, that's a, that's a really powerful value proposition in a recession. Um, fake, fake money is your, this is going to improve your productivity over the next 10 years. Uh, so in other words, it, it's, uh, it's really projected, uh, dollars for the long term, which in times of recession, unless you're aligned with some very strategic objective, uh, right. is unlikely to, uh, punch through. Um, so, yeah, okay. so, so it, it is, uh, these questions actually end up activating the intellectual curiosity muscle for uh, for sellers where if they want to be able to answer the question these questions they have to ask and they have to get into it with clients in a, in a way that's very um, 
truthful um, and you know kind of like a, let go of the mask of uh, you know I, I'm a seller and I'm trying to sell you something that I'm not sure what benefit it really provides to you for one of well let's have the conversation about what that benefit is how much value it represents in this context how fast etc cetera, etc cetera. okay so that's really interesting and I have one more question about the buyer getting close to the buyer side because I feel I feel we can discuss this for at least two or three hours it's such a big topic sure um, <laughs> But I want to I want to cover the leadership aspects of the one of the four that you talked about. So the last question on the buyer is when we talk about getting closer to the buyer. Instinctively, when you say that to a lot of salespeople, they think buyer behavior. They think about the buying process and how they make those decisions. They think about potentially you know stakeholders and how to manage their stakeholders. Um, what's your advice there? You know how how should sellers ask and get to really understand? what that process is like and how that changes. Hmm. Well, so one of the issues with, uh, with the yeah, selling stuff is that um, it, it, always when that's true in good times, you, you always make up uh, assumptions, right? And the assumptions are, um, are about um, what value your product provides, in reality, what value is perceived by the buyer? Um, how much money does the buyer have to spend on stuff? Uh, what's the, the purchasing process, et cetera, et cetera. And in good times, things are relatively stable. And, and, and usually these assumptions are based on history, right? So right. for the past three years or two years, this company has, or even this individual has bought things in a certain way. So therefore, we assume that that's going to be the case now. Um, so the, 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 the first thing is to, to basically just disconnect the assumption engine. Uh, so there's no more assumptions. Uh, and so you, you show up to, uh, to a, um, a conversation with someone whom you know, uh, and you actually have to restart from scratch and remap the entire story because things probably have changed on their side. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, buyers are actually, um, they're individuals. So the, the, the question of personal value, I mentioned that uh, you, know, you, you have this personal and business value side to, to a deal. The business value side it needs to be there for um, almost uh, justification reasons, right? So right. In, in hard times, uh, you never buy something that, could be questioned by the shareholders, right? So you're, right. you're, you're so you're not going to buy something that would uh, um, that would be bad for the company. However, your decision to buy one thing rather than another, um, or one vendor rather than another, ends up being a, a, a very personal value-driven uh, decision based on the value you have in the relationship with the vendor, uh, right. or the value of the uh, and brand, et cetera, et cetera. And so there, you know, there are actually a couple of, there's one example that comes to mind um, from, uh, that was in 2008, I believe, um, where uh, one of our, and you know, I, I, can, I can say it because it's, uh, it's long enough, I think, uh, the, the, um, uh, we were working with Nokia 
yeah. um, who was a very, you know, at the time going through very, very tough um, um, cost-cutting, change in strategy, just massive upheaval in the company. Uh, and the crisis on the on in, in the background, right. so like the worst possible situation. And at the time, we had um, uh, a contract with uh, the CHRO, um, who you know HR. When you when when companies cut costs, uh, tends to be one of the first places you go because it's uh, you know it's kind of free money for the CFO. It's SGNA. You can just pick it up, and you only pay for it later. Um, and we, we, um, you know, we, we'd kind of given up on them, um, you know, re renewing what was, I think it was a 60 or $70,000 contract. Um, and, and, and said, well, the CFO has addicted a cost cutting mandate. They're going to, you know, it, it's going to go with that. And actually, um, what happened is that the CHRO was personally attached to this service yeah. and decided to go and, you know, um, defend it to the CFO. Um, and when, when we actually found, a, and, and this became a story of, uh, uh, you know, dragon slaying by the CHRO, who kind of defended against the mighty CFO and, you know, probably took, you know, a 50-page slide deck. Um, actually, it happened over breakfast uh, and over the course of less than a 30-second conversation, which right. was... Well, can we? Why don't we cut it? And uh, the CHRO said, "Because I don't want to," and that was the end of the conversation. Wow. Okay. Uh, so, in other words, the the personal value thing ends up becoming uh, a real big driver. Uh, and you know, if someone really wants something in times like now, they'll find a way to justify it and to get it through. Um, yes. So, for all the deals that are slide that are uh, kind of stuck. Uh, or that, uh, you know, where we get returns where people say, well, my budget was kind of cut, et cetera, et cetera. Usually behind it, there is either an issue of individual power, sort of the ability to assert, you know, what uh, the, the executive's power, or um, they're not personally convinced that this is the way to move forward. And that's some work for the seller to do. So it's interesting you're saying that. So it's almost like you're saying the business value the, the money, the dollar value, the pound value, whatever currency behind it is almost table stakes, like in poker. You've got to have it to even have a seat at the table to have that kind of discussion. Mm -hmm. But what, what really pushes the buyer to, to select or at least to, to actually champion your solution is how much of a personal value is attached to it. And not in technicalities. I was expecting you to talk about technicalities, but it's almost saying if there is enough personal value for me to believe enough in it that I want to fight for it. That's right. right. And, and that's, that's essentially what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, you know, if you really think about what, uh, what makes people um, fight in tough times, it's when they're, when their hearts involved, right? It's a, yeah. when they believe into some kind of cause, uh, that will, you know, get them out in the streets or, uh, I mean, in France, we do that every five minutes. So that's a little bit different, but um, it, it, it's, a, um, uh, it, it's what gets you up in the face of a CFO to say, like, yeah. um, I, th this matters to me. 
and and by but by you 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 need the good shareholder justification, um, but just the dry uh, the dry look. This is worth you know uh, fifty thousand dollars, and we're gonna make a hundred thousand dollars with it. Uh, this can always be challenged. This will always lose uh, in a, like in a, let's say an executive um, decision making committee. It yeah. will always lose against another executive who says, "Well, um, yeah, mine mine maybe makes less money, but I really, really want it uh, right. because it's important yeah. to me. It's important to my team, uh, and it's going to make us win in the long run." And whatever story uh, comes to their mind. Yeah, it's really interesting that you talk about that because um, I have a, I have regular discussions like this with clients and, and stakeholders in my community um, where we talk about, uh, you call it personal value, and I, I talk about it in terms of almost emotional and human needs value, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we make our decisions based upon emotions. Um, and we try to justify that through logic, which is where the, the business value comes in. But mm -hmm. if, 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 if you've aligned your solution, or at least the benefits of your solution, to a deep-seated human need that that person has, and it could be one of six to eight, depending on which framework you use. But if this person is all about certainty, but your solution presents uncertainty and risk and long-term, then it doesn't matter how good the numbers are, you're just not aligned to that person's deep-seated human needs. Consequently, if that person is about, for example, uh, growth, but you're talking about certainty and how to stabilize a business, but this person is about ambition, about growth, about taking a little bit of risk because they want to go places, then you're incongruent with that human need that that person has. So it's very interesting that you talk about that, and, and that's... That's something that maybe is going to be for another discussion because again, that's a very big, big talk talk track. Yeah, I mean, the the, the one thing in the in the recession type of environment is that you, um, you know, there there is a, um, a, a a moment where you know if if you look at the hierarchy of needs, like the the, the primary one is survival. Uh, yeah, and you know, so an executive will give up personal value or will give up anything to first survive yeah right great. so uh, in their organization in their role um so it's very rare that they you know one will actually go to bat with the risk of losing their job for it um, <laughs> um but once if if that's not the situation um then the the uh, their the the marriage between their personal aspiration and the offer that you're you're having on the table uh, is super important is is almost more important than ever uh, because there are so many obstacles that they're going to have to overcome yeah. and what powers i mean their engine to overcome these obstacles is their belief and, and so and it's their belief in your in their life becoming better with your solution uh, and that belief is uh, um, is rooted in the things that you've described. Great, yeah. I'm just conscious of time, so there's a few other things I, I really want to uh, get your insights on and your experience on. Um, and before I ask the next question, which is around the leadership side, you know, any attendees online, feel free to post your questions. There's an open chat box, and uh, we will do our best to get those answered either during the session 
Um, if not, we will organize an email that will go out to everyone uh, with, those on, with those questions answered. So, so the other two areas that you talked about, Christopher, is the leadership side of things. And I think for sales leaders, it's important, but it's even more critical for the sellers themselves because in times of high pressure, they need that support, especially from, from leaders that they believe in. So you talked about um, the two things. Number one was uh, shielding and protecting uh, the sellers from other parts of the organization where it's not malicious, it's just that they're not fully involved and appreciate what's happening at the front lines. Um, and you also talked about trading up on talent during a recession period, and it's critical for salespeople. Um, let's start with the shielding side of things, because um, uh, talent could be a situation where people are just not going to be hiring, and it's, it's about internal talent and coaching, so we'll come on to that. But what are the things that you advise around sh shielding sellers from the rest of the organization? Um, how would you go about that? What are some of the critical things, or uh, what is the advice that you would give for any sales leaders listening to um, well, I mean, sales leaders typically are, are the voice of their teams, right? That's a, usually a, a, a natural trait uh, to the rest of the organization. Right. Um, I, um, um, and, and actually, in, in, in good times, you'll find that uh, sales teams tend to have a special place in the, in, on the corporate chessboard um, in that they're, they're really the, the motor of the company, right? So they're important to, to get right. Um, in times of recession, I, I, um, it, it's, it's relatively easy to make the case to, uh, to the executive committee that um, uh, the sales team needs to be protected at all costs. Right. Um, the, the you know, back to the trading up on talent. The last thing you want uh, during a recession is to have your competitors, whether they're business competitors or talent competitors, um, picking up your best sales talent because uh, they don't feel supported or because uh, you know they uh, don't feel like they can be successful. They don't have faith in the business. Uh, and you know when the recession is over and you you're picking up uh, some steam, well, you no longer have your 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 you know your Formula One engine in the front. Uh, that's a that's a big problem. So uh, it's relatively easy to make the case to the rest of the organization and say um, uh, you know um, ba back off uh, of a certain number of things. Now the question is what things. Yeah. Um, well, actually, uh, if you, you know, if if you take a really big company and I and putting aside the manufacturing and uh, you know R and D uh, engines, the the frontline teams end up being the, the you know the, the the fighting unit that's close to the market that's you know supposed to be dealing with all these changes um, and interestingly uh, these are typically teams that are asked to execute right so in other words the center has a certain way to do things 
and yeah. you guys in the front lines, you go execute my plan because that's how things are done. Yeah. And usually, you know, usually if it's like uh, in times are good, the, the two are relatively closely aligned and it kind of works. Um, in, in times of, uh, of strife, uh, that's usually not the case. And so the, the front line needs to pick up the initiative and say, okay, center, you, you back off a bit. Uh, it's for me because I've got the boots on the ground to understand what's happening, what we need, what resources, additional resources we need, what we need to stop doing and so on and so forth. And so one of the ways that you can um, do that is first give people a voice uh, about, about that. Like, uh, you know, most sellers are actually relatively disciplined uh, and, you know, say, well, that's the way we do things in this company, even if it's silly. Um, and this is a time to say, uh, well, guys, let's look at what we're doing right now. And are there things that we could uh, completely remove from the picture because they're just consuming a bunch of your time or your energy at a time where you need all of it to be uh, customer facing? Um, are, are there um, ways of working that are getting in the way? So right. um, unnecessary reporting burden, unnecessary um, you know, matrix type of burden because, you know, in modern organization, there are plenty of ways for things to get lost. Yeah. Um, um, you know, kind of uh, holding back on any super long-term projects. So, you know, if you have like big transformation thing that's running, just say like push it, push it out uh, so that you can focus on the task at hand. Uh, and so the, the, there's actually great benefits in giving the sales team, um, a voice and telling them, look, you're, you know, let's discover together what's the right way of working for this environment um, that maximizes the time that you spend with customers and minimizes the time that you spend doing stuff that's not immediately useful. So just just to be clear, you're not saying that the company should forego R and D in the long term project. It's just more no. sales involvement involvement in those things. Um, well, if they yeah, it's, it, it's saying uh, uh, it, it's saying that uh, you know if you think about HR, IT, marketing, all these support functions um, ha ha have to acknowledge the fact that things have changed in the front line to tell them where to back off. Um, and for that, right. it's sales leader should be the voice, but the people who actually write that story or the guys in the front line. And it's a really a valid conversation. Right. You need to change goals, structures, etc., etc. Right. That's, that's interesting. So, so the sales leader really must have the courage and almost the strength in order to be able to create that pushback in a professional way and to almost reassess, you know, how is time being spent by the team um, and where are they being involved in certain things? And is that really conducive to core vital activities, especially during recession. Yeah. So we talked we talked quite a lot about what to do and what to focus on. Let's let's turn it let's go to the opposite, which is what are the things that you advise to avoid doing? Like what are because a lot of the people a lot of people joining this this uh, podcast and going to be listening later on, a lot of them are probably doing things that in your experience are time drain. Um, and uh, we really want to be able to give them some advice about what are the things they should stop doing because they're not going to actually help them. 
Um, yeah, so I, it, the, that's actually, um, it's difficult to generalize on it because it really depends on um, on on the, the on the organization. Yeah, you know, if you were to uh, look at the, uh, you know, put yourself in a seller's shoes for, you know, for three days and and literally just walk with them to see what they're doing, where they're spending their time, energy, and how they're spending it. You you would uncover a ton of clutter, basically, a ton right. of stuff. It's impossible to call out where it's where it is, uh, but um, you know, there, there's all it's always there, and because clutter is what uh, grows in good times. So we're coming out of like 15 years of. Uh, you know, or not 15, but 12 years of 12 years, uh, run, uh, and the, a lot of clutter has built up uh, around everything, right? And right. so uh, there, there is that uh, that, uh, and it's usually invisible from the leadership uh, because leadership is usually uh, who has put the clutter in place <laughs> to monitor, to do all kinds of things. So the, it's almost like reversing the perspective and looking at it from the perspective of frontline folks. And, you, and that's where you see the clutter and you see the, 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 the experienced destroyers, basically, that, that uh, you, you, can, you, you can and should remove. Um, but in terms of other things to, other things to do, um, and as you said, we're not officially in a recession, but usually the official call Kind of comes like it's six nine months after it's yeah. actually happened, so um, you don't have time to wait for that to to, uh, <laughs> to operate yeah. in a, in a new way. Um, I, you, uh, probably the the first thing that you want to avoid is uh, you know when when things slow down, which they are right now um, around around the world. Um, you know, salespeople get caught in that narrative of well, there's no business to be done. Right, right. It's, it, which is uh, you know that's what everybody says. Therefore, it must be true. Right. Um, so, so there's a. Um, uh, the, the, it's really important for the sales leader to rewrite the narrative, and that's not a general one. It's for the organization um, that that captures what business. It's not that there's no business to be done. Is that the business to be done has now shifted. And we got to find it, um, and it's still there, but it's just have changed shape and changed expectations, as we talked about earlier. So there's right. a, things to avoid as a leader is first to give into the narrative and to just say, "Yep, you know what? You're right. We're screwed," because uh, that, that usually doesn't end well. Right. Um, second is uh, um, you know, got to be really careful with uh, with plans and targets. Uh, some companies are very resistant to uh, moving the goalposts in the mid-year um, when a recession hits, and uh, so you know uh, uh, objectives and targets and comp, etc., for uh, salespeople. Uh, at the end of the day, you end up doing it um, when when things yeah. get really hard. So you're better off actually being deliberate about it rather than being reactive. Right. Um, it's and it's it's a, a, a testament to your uh, to your um, your willingness to treat your people well uh, is is usually well received. So yeah, um, 
third is um, um, is uh, is to get caught for too long in the well. We have a playbook. We just apply it, um, mm. and that's a uh, you know you have kind of two kind of two leadership behaviors when times are you know or get tough. One is to basically harden the discipline and and not change any of the approach. Um, and it, it's actually tapping into the wrong side of people, and I think but that's my opinion. Right. Um, so pushing them harder to do the same things that uh, that worked in good times is usually going to result in more frustration and disbelief on the company's objective. And that's how your best sales performer will be poached. Yeah. Um, because there are companies that are smarter than, than you about that. Um, the, 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 so the, the, uh, the, the, the other approach is it is actually time to um, empathize with the sellers that are in the front line, understand what they're going through, and, and kind of create a new narrative that they're co-creating, really, uh, so that you're, you're, you're doing that together and they're actors of it. Um, that yeah. that's a much a much better approach to uh, to adapt to this type of um, uh, of situation. Right. Um, okay. And that kind of makes sense when you think about what we've been talking about, which is the getting close to the buyers. Because if the way the buyers conduct themselves is different, then expecting your salespeople to do more of what they did before is not going to work if that is incongruent with how the buyers are acting. Yeah, uh, but you know, back to the protecting uh, the, the your your team from the organization. Mm. Is, um, um, there are many, uh, in particular, people that are not in front lines in the company that will try to push for um, just do whatever we're doing before, and but do it harder. Right. Uh, and and so the, it's 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 a tough tough spot for a sales leader to be in. Uh, because you got to push back around, or you know, against those uh, those instincts. Yeah, anyway. agreed. Yeah, and and you've discussed something that I want to spend the last nine or ten minutes or so talking because it's a it's a topic that's very close to my heart, and it's something I'm involved with my clients a lot. And you, you, you've mentioned it as one of your first points, which is the mindset. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and when times are tough, that mindset can take a battering. It really tests you. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that can affect how you are with your clients. It's, it's pretty obvious. And it's one of the things that I see not being addressed at all, not at all, but very, very rarely addressed by sales trainers or even the sales leaders themselves. It's, it's more of a cursory approach. What's mm -hmm. your take on the importance of mindset of uh, traditional sales skills, particularly in times of recession. And as a sales leader, what do you advise leaders should do about it? Or approach it? Uh, so for, first of all, I, uh, I agree with you that um, um, mindset is, um, I mean, it, it, it is everything. The problem with it is that it's, uh, it's hard to act on mindset. Right. Um, so, so there's a, um, and I, I don't have a good theory of, you know, the, the automatic mindset machine, um, right. unfortunately, um, but um, 
a few pointers. Number one, um, the, the leadership team plays a hugely important role uh, in that mindset. Um, there is a, um, you know, uh, everyone in the front line is watching what leaders do right. in when times are tough, right? And and yeah. when I say leaders, it's basically the management team and any yes. you know frontline organization. Um, and they don't they don't necessarily look at one leader leader in particular. They look at the behavior of the leadership group. Right. The first thing they look at is how much faith do they have in the business. Right, and and it's something that uh, uh, you know, like, like dogs will sense everything that you know in you, like the fear or the whatever. Uh, well, people will sense if someone doesn't actually believe in the business, and they'll sense it before they know it, uh, and that sense ends up uh, trans translating into a subtle shift in their mindset of well, it looks like. Maybe they're not so sure that we're going to, you know, pull yeah. through in this recession, uh, and therefore maybe I'm not so sure. And that's right. when uh, things start, right? So that, that's a that's the first thing. And when they look at the group of leaders, what's really interesting is that uh, it only takes one of, you know, let's say you've got twenty leaders uh, in a in a in a in a group. Uh, I mean, leaders, managers, whatever you call them. Uh, they they will uh, if one of them breaks the line, um, mm. they it, it will it, immediately everyone will uh, kind of realize that that's the case and it becomes literally a breach in the uh, in the collective mindset that, uh, that right. they're being asked to uphold and if the management team is not uh, upholding it then it all goes to um, uh, it all goes to ground. Right. Okay. So, so it's a um, um, th that's that's probably the first thing. Um, the the second is um, um, you know my mindset ends up being the the it's a state, right? It's a like it's a how how you you see yourself in a certain situation. Um, that is uh, um, the result of whatever experience you have of when you're get, getting your work done as a seller. Right. So you talk to customers, you talk to um, your colleagues, you talk to managers, basically that's kind of it. Um, and your experience when you do these things will actually dictate your mindset. Mm. Uh, and then your mindset will then in turn uh, you know, feed your experience, right? So there's that loop of the things that you actually do and the, how you feel about them. Um, right. And I, the, 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 so the how you feel, you can't, you know, besides what I mentioned, which is kind of that, uh, that, uh, that um, mirroring mindset of leaders uh, is maybe the one thing you can do as a leader, but the best thing you can do is to get after what is it that people are doing. And so it goes back to the beginning of our conversation about what kind of conversation do you have with customers? If what you're doing is banging on their door every day to say, uh, I have one more discount for you, sir. Yeah. Your experience as a seller is going to be pretty poor 
uh, your, because you're going to feel like you're adding no value and you're not being successful, uh, your mindset is going to suffer. And, and then you have a bit of a downward spiral. So uh, if you're able to help your sellers understand you know, how, how to have a good experience as an individual selling in a recession, which means that intellectual curiosity, being like brutally honest with customers about what they're going through, what you can do for them and so on and so forth. Right. Then their experience becomes better and then they believe more and the whole collective mindset starts shifting. Interesting. Okay. So you're, okay. So that's, so we're talking about uh, leaders, leaders basically setting an example. Um, and because at the first level you don't, I mean, people look to their leaders for that support, especially during recession. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, it also affects their, in terms of mindset, it affects their approach where if they are approaching their buyers in the wrong way and use the example of discounts, that is not exactly a great experience for the seller or the buyer. Um, and actually that sets the wrong mindset, which is more of a restrictive mindset, right? Rather than an abundance mindset or mindset focused on actually giving value. Now you're That's almost right. kind of degrading value if you're going down the uh, discounting route. That's right. So, so, so in a way, it's uh, being focused on the experience that your sellers have of selling in this environment and uh, enabling them with, you know, what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, yeah. uh, w with the, the basically the right approaches and helping them find the right approaches so that they, their experience is a good one. And if their experience is a good one, their mindset is going to be up there. Okay. So just in the last two minutes, then I know you said you don't have a theory in terms of the mindset, but you talked about leaders um, setting the example. How do you as a leader make sure that your mindset is in the right frame and the right emotional state? Even though as a leader, you're privy to more information and you might be feeling those things. So I remember you and I discussed this before when we went, but you can't show that. So how do you, how do you set yourself in the right mindset? Um, well, so it's, it's interesting because you, you're, um, you know, a, a leader in a recession, regardless of, uh, you know, whether it's sales leader or other kind, uh, you're kind of caught in between two worlds, right? It's, uh, um, it's the world of, you know, you, you of course worry about where things are going and, you know, uh, how much business are we going to do? And you don't know, right? Because you're not the one doing the business, your sellers are. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, what's going to happen next? And it's pretty easy to get yourself in a, you know, in a, in a tizzy about, uh, about that and getting yourself really worried. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's not something that, you know, should transpire to, to, to teams. However, you can't completely, you, you can't uh, be different on the outside than what you're on the inside either. Right. So, you, you can't really hide your emotions and be Mr. You know, ice Cube. Yeah. Um, and so um, there, there's actually, it's trying to figure out what is the right level of transparency with, that you need to have with your, with your teams about uh, what it is that you're really worried about and try to distill it into constructive questions that are things to actually go work on rather than worry about. Right. Uh, and, and then it becomes a then it becomes a conversation which both decreases your anxiety level uh, and also makes the team feel like you're not 
putting a smoke screen and pretending that everything is okay, right? So uh, there's a, uh, the, the, the thing that uh, people don't like is just, um, is just, uh, is worry. How, however, problems are things that people can deal with and that you can deal with as a team. And the fact that you share what these potential problems are, obstacles, et cetera, and yeah. that you're trusting your team to help, you know, figure it out actually becomes a really positive thing. So. Oh, that's really interesting. So, so if I understand what you're saying correctly, it's just, it's about being genuine and, and not saying that nothing is going wrong or that it's not going to be challenging or tough times, but it's almost turning people's focus away from the fact that it's a challenge or a tough time into almost a solution solution mode or project. How do we approach this That's as a right. project? How do we, so it's really about focus here rather than hiding the fact that you're going through a tough time or even being overly confident, which could be which could, could equal delusion, being delusional. That's right, because well, you know, every individual out there worries, right? So yeah. when you look at the news, everyone tells you the economy is going down, the recession, the pandemic, like whatever the yeah. story is. Uh, yeah. And so, and you know, leaders are worried, but individual sellers are worried too, uh, and and everyone is worried basically. So, uh, the, if you can shift the conversation from how worried you and everybody else are, is, and give a place for that worry to exercise and to act, uh, yeah. then suddenly it it you know it generates positive energy uh, rather than uh, worry, which is uh, not very useful and pretty negative in general. So it's a balance between empathy and acknowledgement with That's right. focused, focused attention. It's not focused attention, but focused outcomes almost. Um, right. And figure out where to go. That, that's super interesting. Uh, and, and, and um, you know, this has been, a, and I'm sure I'm speaking for everyone else here who's attending and who will be listening to the recording of this later on. This has been a really, really interesting uh, discussion. And you've shared some incredibly valuable points from you know how sales how sales leaders should protect and serve and, and and kind of support their sellers during a recession, but also things like getting close to the buyers, right? Not just in terms of value and personal value, but how they started to change their buyer processes and how sellers need to start to con well, not just where they need to focus, but how they need to conduct those activities as well. So, so this has been a super helpful and interesting. Uh, podcast and, and I want to thank you Christoph for for taking the time to share uh, your advice and I know there, there are a ton of salespeople and sales professionals and even business leaders um, you know solopreneurs who will be listening to this that uh, that would really appreciate what you've shared here so thank you so well, much thanks thank, thanks very much Mo it was good to spend time with you um, and uh you know, uh, good good luck to uh, good luck to everyone uh, for for the coming um, the coming times. It's going to be an interesting period. So, uh, looking forward to the challenge. <laughs> agreed, agreed. As, as as you said, it kind of as you said to me when we were working together, how you come out, how you deal with this kind of makes makes or breaks how, or how the kind of person you come out of this. Um, that's that's and, true and will, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, didn't I, want to get all, like, I didn't want to get all philosophical, but. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Uh, well, thank you so much, Christoph, again, and uh, you know, best best of luck as well with your own business uh, and thank what you. you're going to Thanks, be Mark. doing. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you everyone else for attending. Yeah, you guys have a good weekend. Bye.
Take care. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.